Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Good morning, church. How is everyone today? Good to see so many smiling faces. Welcome to those listening online. It's so cool that with technology, we have so many people that uh, on different occasions respond. We had a lady this week watching from Florida. We have uh, someone today watching from Plano, Texas. It's really cool that with technology, even when you're traveling, you can watch together. Well, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. I hear Alaska. Someone's watching Alaska. So greetings in Alaska. Let's go to Lord in prayer and prepare our heart for the word. Father, we're just grateful that you're with us and that you're for us. We ask and pray that whatever we say or do will be to uplift Jesus and to build up us in you, that we would be edified and strengthened in our faith. Father, if there be one here that doesn't know you, that today would be their day to cross that, that line, that they would accept Christ, that they would give their life to you. We ask and pray the blessing on your word and their time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, greetings again. And we're going to be in Acts 25. We're continuing their study on the series of Acts. Uh, just a few opening remarks. Uh, I'm going to encourage you to read each chapter before you come. We're entering the last four chapters, so it, it's a lot of court cases. And there's going to be a lot of verses, and we can't cover every nuance. I need you guys to read in advance so that way we can cover a lot of ground and a lot of material. So today we find ourselves in Acts 25, and today's message is called Faith Under Fire, Faith Under Fire. Have any of you ever taken up welding, blacksmithing, anybody ever played with fire, some? All right. Well, I have a little video to kind of get your mind ready for today's message. Let's go and play that. All right, I have not seen the episode, but I know good and well I would not do blacksmithing. My wife would not let me because I'm accident prone. Anybody else accident prone? So today we're going to talk about Paul, and he finds himself still on trial. He finds himself in a really tough place. He's been in Caesarea for about two years, and um, he's really in a, a time where he's like in a holding pattern, where he's in prison, uh, Felix is on his way out, uh, Everyone say goodbye, Felix. Not Felix the cat, but Felix the governor. And all of my cat lovers like that, right? And so Festus is going to replace him. And Festus is a better ruler. 
even though we're going to see from today's passage, he still is um, not doing justice a favor. But today's question I want to ask you is, how is your faith when it's tested by fire? When you guys go through tough times, when you're being challenged, how is your faith? How does it stand up under fire? So we're going to start in Acts 25, and we're going to be reading a few verses, making a few comments. Uh, Today's passage is 22 verses, and don't worry, I'll have you out by 1 o'clock. Just kidding. All right. Let's start in verse 1. It says, Now when Festus had come to the province, after three days, he went up to Caesarea to, to Jerusalem. Then the high priests and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would, he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. So today I want to give you four inspiring truths about when your faith is being tested by fire. The first truth is this. Authentic faith stays alive even under the threat of death. Authentic faith stays alive even under the threat of death. So you see here in Acts 25, Paul is under trial. And basically he's under trial for one reason and one reason only. And that's his faith in Jesus Christ. He has done no wrong, no crime, other than he believes in a Messiah that was crucified, buried, and rose on the third day. So his, his faith is something that's gonna, we're gonna see in his passage upholds Paul. Uh, a little rewind, if we go back to Acts 23, you can flip in your Bibles, uh, in verses 12 through 15, we see that when Paul was in Jerusalem, they made an assassination attempt on him. They had a plot. Forty men basically made an oath and said, we will not eat or drink until Paul is dead. Uh, Commander Claudius Alicius heard about this from Paul's nephew, and he basically had Paul transported all the way from Jerusalem to Caesarea, and that's where we find ourselves today. So the question I want to ask you is, how strong is your faith? If you were falsely accused of things you did not do, if you, because you're a Christian, it became legal, and you were to stand trial because basically of your faith in Jesus, how strong would your faith stand? I was reading about David Livingston. How many of you have heard of the missionary explorer? David Livingston was an interesting guy. He wasn't your typical missionary. He was a guy that basically you'd consider probably a businessman that just kind of got involved in the life of a church. And he began to hear testimonies about missionaries in China and different parts of the world. And he's like, I want to go to China, but the doors were shut. He couldn't go to China. And all of a sudden, he had this missionary named Mr. Moffat who came from Africa. And he told the story about Africa, how basically it was relatively unreached with the gospel. And one thing he said that really struck Livingston's heart, he says, whenever you see the sunrise in Africa, you can see more than a 100 villages where a missionary has never traveled. And that image kind of stayed in Livingston's mind, that when you see the sunrise, more than a 100 villages that have never heard the gospel. So David Livingston decided to give up his business, everything he was doing, and he decided to go on the mission field. So he spent 33 years in Africa. But he wasn't your typical missionary. What he did is he explored Africa. He traveled hundreds of miles. And throughout his process, he had persecution. He had rejection. He experienced a lot of, a lot of challenges. And people asked him when he came back to his native hometown, they said, was it, what is, was it a sacrifice, you know, that you suffered so much? And he said, don't call it a sacrifice. I didn't suffer compared to what Jesus did for me. He said that when the glory is to be revealed, our, our suffering is but moment, momentary and light. 
In Livingston, for 33 years, he gave his life for the cause of Christ. So I want to ask you, as we look at Paul in this passage, when your faith is challenged, when you are experiencing suffering because of your faith, will your faith stand the test of fire? Peter says it like this in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. He says, in this you greatly rejoice that now for a little while... You may have to have had suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Now keep in mind, Peter, shortly after this, is going to die as a martyr, crucified upside down. And he said, this is just suffering for a little while. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by what? Refined by fire, may result in praise. So here's what Peter is saying is that true faith can stand the test of time. True faith can stay alive even in a world that's trying to drown out your faith. When your faith is put under fire, it will stay alive because your faith is in the living Savior. Your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever your faith is under fire, it glows brighter because your focus is on Jesus. All right, someone say faith under fire. Second truth today. Is authentic faith stands strong even under vicious vilification. Don't try to say that five times fast. Verse 4, pick up in verse 4 of Acts 25. It says, but Festus, remember Felix is yesterday's new, Festus is the new ruler. He answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there's any fault in him. And when he had remained among them more than ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews who had come from Jerusalem stood about, you may want to underline this, and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, Paul said, neither against the law or the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended in anything at all. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever been falsely accused before? How many of you falsely accused? Raise your hand. Like everybody. Well, if you've never been falsely accused, how many of you have ever had gossip spread about you? Like everybody, right? What's interesting about Paul, he's like, listen, I've done nothing wrong against the Jews. I'm innocent. The temple, they, they, they said it, they spread a, a lie, which... A false report and people began to gossip about it that he had desecrated the temple by bringing a Gentile in. Not true. I didn't do anything against Caesar. I'm not a political uh, upriser. None of these charges are true. So what happens with with this is it starts off as a lie and then it spreads and it gets worse. It's kind of like, have you ever had bad news and it got worse? It's kind of like the patient that went to the doctor and the doctor said, I'm so sorry, but I have bad news and I have worse news. And the patient's like, okay, what is it? The doctor says, you have 24 hours left to live. And the patient said, well, what could be worse than that? I forgot to tell you yesterday. <laughs> so I'm kind of, any, are there any research nerds out there? You like researching things? I'm kind of a research nerd. So as I was studying this passage and Paul these false rumors being spread about him, lies, half-truths, twisted things spread. I wanted to understand the psychology of gossip. 
How many of you, just don't raise your hand, but just nod. How many of you enjoy juicy gossip? Most of us do, right? You ever wondered why? Why do we savor those juicy goblets of gossip? Well, and you're listening, God, if you'll look down, uh, this comes from actually a research project taken from scienceabc.com. They did a research study, and the results fascinated me. Number one, why do people like to gossip? Gossip creates a false sense of connection and community. You ever met someone who gossips a lot? It's because they don't have a lot of true friendships. And if they can connect with you through gossip, it makes them feel like you're friends, right? You won't believe what I heard about today. And they're like, oh, and it has this false sense of community. It doesn't really last, but for the day, they feel like they have friends. Second reason they came in the research, gossip produces high emotion because the information is about someone who's not present. Have you ever met anybody that likes to create drama? Like, they just don't feel at ease unless there's drama going on all the time. Don't, don't hit the person next to you. But, see, some of us have been brought up in tumultuous environments, maybe our upbringing, maybe mom and dad got in a lot of fights. So if you're not, a, if you're not around that environment, sometimes you create it because you want the emotion, the excitement. So I can imagine in Paul's case, can you imagine, it's funny, this is a little side note, Whenever I go to coffee shops on Monday, I hear people talk about their pastor's sermon on Sunday. Good or bad, what's going on? How many of you do that? <laughs> You're like, you haven't heard me. No one's raising their hand. But the truth is, we like to talk and there's nothing wrong with discussing. But it's like, can you imagine, did you hear what Paul did? I heard he brought a Gentile into the temple. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. And then everyone's just back and forth and all of a sudden it gets out. Paul did what? And Paul's the talk of the town. All right, number three, third reason why people gossip, it creates a sense of superiority over people we're gossiping about. So in other words, if I feel bad about myself, I feel much better if I can talk bad about someone else. <laughs> we're like, ouch, it's, it's the reality. Fourth reason, and I didn't think of this before, but it makes sense. Gossip allows people to feel like they're part of another world that may not be part of their reach. So... You ever wonder why people have talked about Aaron Rodgers like all summer? What's he going to do? Is he going to stay with Green Bay? What, what's up with Aaron Rodgers? And it's like football season's, not, I mean, what's going on? It's funny, basketball season's been gone with, but how many of you have heard people talk about Kevin Durant like five times a day? And it's like, it's not even basketball season. Like, why, why are we talking about athletes or celebrities? Or, and it's because we want to be part of a world that, that's far removed. So as we look at this passage and we see Paul under trial, we've got to ask the question, how did Paul respond to lies, false accusations? How did he respond to gossip? Did he cave in? Did he crawl into a fetal position? Did he say, I give up? Did he say, I'm going to walk away from the church because nobody likes me? No, Paul stood for the truth. See, we live in a world where there's so much fake news, it's hard to know what's true, right? No matter what news channel you turn into, it seems like it's politically biased to one side. So in a world of so much fake news and misunderstandings, how can anyone stand tall in a world that's trying to bring you down? And the answer is you've got to stay close to Jesus. The answer is you've got to stay close to his word. Whereas culture and society is constantly changing, we serve a God who changes not. We stand upon a word that is steadfast and reliable. We have 66 books in the Bible. All 66 are inspired and reliable and trustworthy. 
So in a world full of fake news, I came to give you good news. We serve a God who changes not. We stand upon a book that's the same, that no one can tear down. And we're living in the last days and we're awaiting the return of Jesus Christ. And he could come back at any moment. Amen. So in a world of fake news, there's some good news. Faith under fire glows brighter as you focus on Jesus. All right. Someone say faith under fire. You guys are listening so well. We may get out early today. All right. Number three, authentic faith seeks truth in a world full of lies. So skip down a verse or look at verse nine. We just finished verse eight. But Festus wanting to do the Jews a favor. Now, didn't Felix do the same thing? He wanted to do the Jews a favor. So he left Paul in prison for two years. Now, here's the thing. Festus is a better magistrate, a better judge, a better ruler than Fest, uh, than Felix. Felix was pretty bad. Festus historically is a little bit better. But think about it. When someone makes a, a decision, imagine if you're standing before a judge and they're not going to give you a sentencing because they want to do a party a favor. Isn't that biased judgment? So whenever we, we look at the news, and we're not going to get political, we're just going to get biblical here. But when you see that there's not always equal justice for, for people, when you see that sometimes things are not the way they should, or some people have political favor and, and they, they get out of certain situations, and others, when we live in a world where none of it really makes sense, what we've got to do is go back to the Bible and say this is nothing new, Right? You have you have Felix. He wanted to do a favor to a certain group, and that was a political move. And he goes on to say that he answered Paul, are you willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's seat where I ought to be judged to the Jews that have done nothing wrong, as you very well know, for I, if I'm an offender or I have done anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying, but if there's nothing in these things to which men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, you appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. So here's the thing. Why did Paul appeal to Caesar? Well, there's a few reasons if you're taking notes. Number one, he didn't want to go back to Jerusalem because the last time he was in Jerusalem, we just mentioned there were 40 men that were ready to kill him. It's only been two years. Most of those 40 men are probably still around, right? Still waiting for Paul to come back. The other thing is, Paul would have to stand potentially before the Sanhedrin. Now, was the Sanhedrin favorable towards Paul as a whole? <laughs> this is the same group it's that had Jesus crucified. It's the same group that basically anything with Christianity, they didn't want to have anything to do with it especially the Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees had some connection with Paul because they believed in the resurrection. They just didn't believe in the whole Jesus thing. But here's the thing. Whenever your faith is under fire, it's going to be tested. So Paul says, I want to go appeal to Caesar. But there's another reason. Not only did he want a fair trial, that was the first reason. The second reason he appealed is God was calling him to take the gospel from Jerusalem to where? Does anybody remember? From Jerusalem to Rome. That's right. Thank you. That's, that's the whole progression. The gospel's going from Jerusalem to Rome. Let's throw a scripture of Acts back on Ananias passage. This is when Paul, before Paul basically fully 
surrendered and got baptized and all that, God called Ananias to share Jesus with him and to pray with him. Uh, Of course, Paul had already seen Jesus on the road to Damascus, and some scholars believe that's when he got converted. But this is where he got affirmed and where Ananias was able to minister to him. The Lord said to Ananias, go, this is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and what? And their kings and the people of Israel. So here's the thing. Paul already was set apart not only to minister to the Gentiles and the people of Israel, but to minister to kings and to rulers. God had set him apart for that very reason. So when he said, I appeal to Caesar, guess what? God had already called him to do that. He had already called him to share the gospel in Rome. Paul may not have known how this would unfold, but God did. So which Caesar did Paul appear uh, appeal to? Does anybody know? Let's throw the picture up here, see if you can recognize who this is. That's hard to know by the face, right? Nero, right. I heard someone say Nero. Was Nero a good guy or a bad guy? Here's something I did not know, but Nero started off as a peaceful ruler. And he really loved the Roman art and culture. And I joked with Joe and Amy, I always joke, how many musicians do I have in the place today? I love musicians. I joke with them sometimes. It's all in love. But I said he was a musician that kind of went crazy. I know that never happens, right? But uh, he, he was a musician, accomplished singer. Uh, he also was an athlete. He won first place in an Olympic game. I mean, this guy was athletic, mu- musical, a lot of good stuff. But as we learn from studying history, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. So as he got power... He started going a little cray-cray. His mind started, anyone that offended him, his wife got in his way, he killed his wife. His mama got in his way. I don't know if she burnt the breakfast or what happened, but he killed his mom. He killed his mom. He killed his wife. He killed his stepbrother, Britannicus. And I was like, I remember the Cyclopedia Britannica. I wonder if they named it after him. But he killed his stepbrother, Britannicus, because he was actually the rightful heir Because something about Nero I did not know is he was actually adopted by his great uncle Claudius. And Claudius wanted him to be the successor. So he adopted Nero so Nero could be next in line. Nero was the ruler for about 14 years. And then as he started going crazy, all of a sudden July of 64 happened. Does anybody know what happened in July of 64 AD? The fire. Yeah, the fire broke out. And in Rome, they had 14 districts and the fire was so bad, it burned and blazed for six days. And 11 of the 14 districts was marred really badly by fire. Only three escaped the fire. So Nero wanted to find a scapegoat, right? So the easiest target he could find was those crazy Christians that meet for communion and do feasts together and talk about love. I mean, these crazy Christians. So he did the most cruel thing you can imagine. Not only did he have Christians persecuted, but he released dogs on Christians. Dogs attacked Christians. But it got worse. He had Christians crucified. And if you think it couldn't get any worse, it did. And he had these beautiful gardens. And as some emperors would, he would throw big parties. And as he would have these evening parties in his botanical gardens, it grew dark at night. So he had this sinister idea. 
I'm going to capture Christians and I'm going to light them on fire and they are going to be living torches in my garden. That was what he's most infamous for. So going back to the scripture, Paul, why would you want to appeal to this guy? I mean, I'll take my chances with a Sanhedrin, right? Nero, Paul, do you not know he's going to eventually kill you? I mean, think about it. But here's the thing we I realize as we enter into this culture, this is before the age of Internet, email, text messaging. So we don't know how much Paul knew about Nero because Rome was pretty far away. You know, in today's time, we can Google anybody and find out about them. Right. But Paul didn't have that technology. So he appealed to Nero. But this is all in the sovereignty of God, because the gospel was meant to spread from Jerusalem to Rome. Right. So here's the thing. Have you ever had that moment of truth? Paul has his moment of truth. Do you want to go back to Jerusalem? He's like, no, I appeal to Caesar. Sometimes you have this moment of truth where it's like this. Something has to be done and it has to be done now. And I'm going to take that stand. Paul took his stand. It reminds me of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. He heard about the walls broken down and the city in disrepair. And Nehemiah said to himself, something has to be done. It's got to be done now and it's going to be me. Have you ever had that moment? Have that moment to stand upon the truth. And I want to encourage you in a world where there's so much falsehood going around. It's your time to stand on the truth because the truth matters. It's your time to stand upon the gospel because the gospel changes lives. It's your time to stand up for the cause of Christ because Jesus still saves. Jesus still loves and Jesus still has a plan. It's your time to stand in a moment where so many people are falling. And the reason why we're going to stand is not because we're better than others, not because we're smarter than others. It's because we have the hope of God living in us. It's because we have resurrection power, the Holy Spirit living on the inside. So when the world's trying to drag you down, realize that you're going to stand just like Paul stood on the truth. You will stand on the truth. And by the way, the truth is not just a concept. The truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way I am the truth and I am the life. So in a world of confusion, stand tall by standing with Jesus. Amen. All right. Someone say faith under fire. I'm just getting worked up and I'm almost out of time, so I don't know what to do. All right. Number four, authentic faith soars bravely in the face of fear. So I'm not going to read verses 13 through 22 to summarize it, but. It says, after these days, if you look down at verse 13, after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice. So this is a preview for next week. King Agrippa and Bernice, there's a little gossip and rumor about them. They're brother and sister, but they got something going on on the side. Okay, and we're going to decide next week whether the gossip and rumor is true. Josephus is going to help us answer. So this is this is interesting for next week. So you got to come back. Okay, look at the person next to you and say, you got to come back. So they, they come, and I, I'll just summarize the scripture. Basically, they laid Paul's, Festus laid Paul's case before them, explaining what happened. Let's skip down to verse 19. It says, but some had questions against him about their own religion, verse 19. And a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because of I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem there and be judged concerning these matters. So here's the here's the the point of verse four is that there's a lot of chance that you will enter into a situation where you're not certain of the outcome. How many of you ever stared fear in the face like we're not told what Paul's emotions are. 
But let's just be honest, Paul is human, right? We think that Paul was never had emotions, never had any issues. Well, let's go back and Acts. Remember, he had a fallen out with, with uh, Barnabas over John Mark, and they got into a little scuffle, verbal. You remember that? So Paul had emotions. We're not told what his emotions are, but I can imagine the emotions, the temptation, the challenges that he faced are what you and I face. And here's the thing, Paul stood on the truth, so he was unswayed. But sometimes you and I were not as strong. Sometimes you and I, when, when, when stuff throws at us, sometimes the enemy throws lies at us and we begin to believe the lies. Paul stood to the truth, even in the face of fear. Now we're going to talk more about it next week, but King Agrippa, this is Agrippa II, if you go down his family line, and we'll go more in detail next week, but I think it was his great-grandfather. He's the one that had all the babies killed in Jerusalem two years, or in Bethlehem two years and under. Uh, another one of his relatives had John the Baptist's head cut off. Remember the dancing girl? And he's like, oh, wow, what do you want? I want the head of John the Baptist. That was the daughter. So he, he had John the Baptist's beheaded. Another one in his family line had James the Apostle killed. So... When you think about Paul and he knows the history, he's brilliant. How would you feel to stand before Agrippa, the guy whose family line, anyone that's involved in Christianity, you may get your head cut off, you may die as a martyr. You can imagine what he was experiencing. So I brought some of my wardrobe here. Let me find this back here. And, uh, you know, sometimes we begin to wear stuff like the enemy tells us lies like, you know, sickness. Whenever you're under trial, it's easy to say, I'm never going to get better again. This sickness is just crippling me. And then some of us worry about being alone. Maybe you had a spouse that died. And the enemy, when, when you're in a trial, he whispers that you're going to be all alone. And you're never going to meet anybody. And you're just going to, you're just going to suffer. And sometimes the greatest fear that some of us have is death. Right? And what happens, these thoughts the enemy throws, when you're in a trial, when your faith is under fire, you begin to think these thoughts so much, they just become part of you. And the narrative repeats over and over in your mind. Man, I just, I'm afraid I'm going to get sick. I'm not sure. I just feel like I'm going to be the next to die. You know, this COVID thing, what if it hits me? You know, I just... I just don't know what to do. I I just feel so hurt. And we begin to have these pain. And then some of us, it's different issues. Some of us, it's rejection. Some of us, it's, it's feeling rejected that, you know, in your mind, the narrative goes that no one really likes me. And it's the imposter syndrome. And it just repeats in your mind. Some of you, it's failure. Some of you that are more driven, you're like, I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid that. You know, it's just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make it. I'm just going to let everyone down. Some of you don't like change in your life. And with a pandemic, we've had so many changes in all of our lives. How many of you enjoy change? Only inventors raise their hand to that. So you begin to wear this, you begin to wear this and you feel so, so broken and like you're a Christian and you have faith, but it just seems like you can't shake these thoughts. Right. It's like when you're under trial and you're going through a test and your faith is under fire, you're just thinking, you know, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen? The unknown. You know, what, what if what if I just 
don't make it? What if the worst case happens and, you know, fear begins to happen? For some of us, it's not so much the thought patterns as it is the sin pattern. Some of us struggle with pride. You know, we feel like we've got to be somebody. We don't want to die without a legacy. And some of us, it's anger. You know, whenever you're hurt, the anger comes out. And your spouse talks to you about, you know, don't yell and stop punching holes in the wall. And, and some of it's, it's lying. You know, whenever, whenever we can't find our way out of something, we lie or we tell half-truths. And some of us, it's greed. You know, I don't want to die poor. I don't want to retire with no money in my account. Some of us, it's, it's these different things when we look at it. Envy. You know, we want what others have because we just feel like, you know, life is not the way it should be. Like, you thought life was going to be better. And when you're standing in trial and your face under fire and your mind is attacked by all these thoughts and ideas and concepts, and when there's sin that weighs you down, all of a sudden it's like you're wearing these dirty clothes. You're wearing these dirty clothes and and you may not see it, but greed is dominating your thought process and envy and and it just keeps repeating. This past week, the staff went through a conference uh, called the Global Leadership Summit. And one of the speakers was John Acuff. He wrote a book about how to change your thought patterns. And I haven't read the book yet, but one thing, uh, so I'm not recommending the book yet, but one thing he said that really made sense is he said your life is like a soundtrack. You, you know, how you play a CD, and it, it plays over and over. The music of your life is like a soundtrack. And he gives three points, and I want to encourage you, as some of you, some of this hit, you know, that you're, you're struggling with, the negative thought patterns, here's his three points, and th- these are on your listening guide. The first one is retire broken soundtracks. Some of you need to get rid of the stinking thinking. Some of you need to get rid of the negative narratives going on in your mind. And he says, you've got to retire the broken soundtrack. Here's three questions to ask those lies that the enemy puts in your mind. Number one, is it true? One of the greatest mistakes that you and I make is believing that every thought that you think is true. Is it true? If it's not true, get rid of it. Look at the person next to you and say, get rid of it. If it's not true, get rid of it. The other question you've got to ask is, is it helpful? So if something that happened in the past hurts you, it's true, but it's not helping you become all that God wants you to be. Why are you living in that broken past? Why are you living in that hurt of the past? If it's not helpful, you've got to get rid of it also. And also, is it kind? So it may be true, but if that person can't change their past, should you bring it up again? If you can't change your past, should you live in it? Should you keep bringing it up? So he says, retire broken soundtracks. And then he says, replace them with new soundtracks. Replace your unbiblical thoughts with biblical thoughts. So what does that look like? Well, envy. You know, I want to replace envy. What is the scripture about envy? Well, the Bible says God is my provider. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All these things will be added to you. So I'm taking off the negative thought or the negative issue in my life or the sin pattern, replacing it. Greed. Man, God has called me to be a giver. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. So all of a sudden, as you replace this, you begin to strip off the old thoughts. You never knew your pastor was going to strip in church, did you? All right, so John, take this old shirt. It's done. 
I'm still not done. I'm still wearing dirty clothes. You know, what about the unknown? Someone once said, never be afraid to trust the unknown future to a known God. I may not know what's going to happen, but I'm not going to I'm not going to be afraid of the future because guess what? God already knows the future. And I'm going to I'm going to put my faith in him. And the Bible says, I believe it's Hebrews 13, 8. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So I'm replacing this fear. All right. What about failure? Well, the Bible says that Jesus died and he rose again. And if you are in Christ, guess what? There's no failures. You are a victor. Paul says that overwhelming victory is ours. We are more than conquerors in Christ. All right, change. We serve a God who does not change, but he expects us to change. And isn't it repentance change? So I'm not going to fear change. I'm going to embrace godly change. So all of a sudden we begin to replace these negative thought patterns. And we just throw them away. There we go. Look at this. Two for two. First service, I almost threw it in someone's cup of coffee. So I'm getting better. All right, what about death? What about death is, is this is affecting my faith? Should the Christian fear death? Why? We're being promoted, right? And you don't actually die, you just change locations, right? When we talk about death, you're only talking about your body. You don't actually die, you just change locations. So here's the thing. Jesus defeated death. So I don't have to live in fear of death anymore. The only thing I have to fear is God. And part of that is I want to fear the unlived life. I want to live my life for the glory of God. All right. What about being alone? For those of you who are single widow, you're alone. David said, if if my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Jesus said, guess what? You're never going to be alone because in Matthew 28, he says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. All right. What about losing? What about my hurt? The Bible says that God is Jehovah Rophe. He is the God who heals you. So any hurt you can give to him. And at the church, we don't we don't tell you not to deal with the hurts. We tell you to bring them to the foot of the cross. It's okay to see a counselor. It's okay to get therapy. Listen, we're all works in progress, right? None of us are perfect. We're just forgiven. So all of a sudden, as you strip yourself of these thought patterns, you can stand tall. All right. We've got to get another row. We haven't done this row. Lucia, here we go. Let's see if I can get it. You know what? I feel lighter now. I feel lighter. I'm not wearing those dirty garments anymore. And I think Paul said something like that. Let's throw the scripture up here. The guy that's on trial said this in Colossians. He says, do not lie to one another. All right, I'm taking off the old. I'm not going to lie anymore. Instead, I'm going to replace it with what? Put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge. According to the image of him who created him. So here's the if you write taking notes, this is called the take off, take on, put off, put on analogy that nature abhors a vacuum. Nature does not like a vacuum. So you can't just stop doing something or a thought pattern. You have to replace it. So back to John Acuff's three points, you replace it. But then the third point, he says, you've got to repeat the soundtrack over and over until it becomes part of you. So instead of believing the lie over and over, you change it. So here's a biblical example. Old Testament. We had King Saul and we had who was his successor? David. Good job. King Saul, even though he was head and shoulders taller than everybody, good looking guy. If you were a single girl back in the day, you would go after Saul before he was married, of course. I mean, he was really good looking, very tall. But in his mind, the Bible says Saul was small in his own eyes. 
He suffered from what we call the imposter syndrome. He was small in his own eyes. So even though he was head and shoulders above everybody else, in his mind he would say, I am nothing, I am small, I don't have what it takes. And because of that, that soundtrack played off in his mind where he did stuff irrationally. He offered the sacrifice he shouldn't because in his mind, I'm small, I don't deserve to be here. But David, on the other hand, how did David describe himself? He descri- if you read through the Psalms, sometimes you'll run across this phrase, the Lord's anointed The Lord's anointed. So whereas Saul thought of himself as small, David's narrative was, I'm God's anointed. I'm God's anointed. So even though I may be facing the giant, guess what? I'm God's anointed. Even though Absalom may be coming after me, even though my kingdom may be hurting right now, I'm God's anointed. So here's what you got to do. If you want your faith to stand strong under fire, and we're talking about the Apostle Paul and his life, what can we do? Fill your mind with God's word. Fill your mind with God's word. Ask his spirit to fill you. And all of a sudden, something will happen. Because see, friends, fear and faith cannot coexist. Fear and faith cannot coexist at the same time. One is going to push the other out. One is going to be the victor. If you feed your faith, your fears will starve to death. If you feed your faith, your fears will starve to death. On the other hand, if you feed your fears, your faith will shrivel up so that it's not effective in your daily life. So if you feed your fears, you'll become fearful. If you feed your faith, you'll grow more fearless. So when your faith is tested by the fire, so the big idea, here's, here's what I want you to take home today. Faith under fire, What? It glows brighter as you focus on Jesus. The reason why Paul could stand is not because he was greater or better or anything, because Jesus was his focus. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. The life I live is not my own. The life I now live is by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So two action steps. Number one, pre-decide to be a person of authentic faith and authentic truth. So here's the thing. I want to live to tell the truth, to live the truth, and avoid spreading half-truths. So we talked really practical, and everyone is quiet about the gossip and rumors, because we all struggle. And as I prepared for this, I had to confess it too. But listen, we're we're spreading the truth. And if you spend your time spreading the truth, you don't have time to spread half-truths or rumors, right? Number two, replace the old negative soundtracks in your life with new life-giving soundtracks in God's Word. So I want you guys to visualize those dirty clothes that I threw on the audience. That's what you got to do. Go home, get in your closet. God, I've been thinking I'm all alone. I'm going to replace that with I'm never alone. God, I've been thinking I'm not enough. And the truth is I'm not enough, but you are more than enough. And all of a sudden you begin to erase the negative, self-deprecating, ungodly thought patterns. And you replace it with God's word. You replace it with God's truth. And guess what? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Amen. Let's pray. Father, how fascinating is Acts 25. And we're just getting started with uh, this trial. But Lord, we can learn a lot from Paul. We can learn a lot that he was a person that stood by the truth even when others lied about him. He was a person that kept his eyes on Jesus And right now, Lord, I want to confess on behalf of all believers that sometimes we struggle when we're under fire. Sometimes 
we have a hard time with that. Forgive us where we take our eyes off of Jesus. God, for us as believers where we have negative soundtracks, I'm alone, I'm not enough, I don't have enough, help us to replace them with God's word to know that God is able and our eyes are fixed on Jesus, not on our problems. So as believers pray, I just want to ask you to do business with God. If you need to replace some soundtrack, start right now at your seat. Tell God what it is. He knows. If you've been part of the gossip where, you know, you're spreading things that really don't help, tell God. He knows. I want to talk now to those who are seekers, those who came here, those listening online, and you're checking out this Christianity thing. Maybe you grew up in church, but you don't really have God living inside of you. You don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The Bible extends the invitation that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you've never asked God to save you, if you've never been born again, it's believe the gospel and repent. Today we're going to give you that chance right where you're at. No one looking around. If you've never accepted Jesus, I want you to say a prayer of faith like this. Say, Jesus, I believe that you died and rose again. And Jesus, I want to surrender my life to you. So Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I ask that you would change me. Lord, save me. Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me, that you would make me pure again. That, God, you would take my sin out of the way and nail it to the cross. Jesus, make me a brand new creation. Step out of heaven and move into my life. Help my heart to be your home. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, please let us know so we can celebrate with you and give you next steps. Father, thank you that our faith glows brighter as we keep our focus on Jesus. And in his name we pray. And all God's children said, amen.